0: Hello, and welcome to the Goddess Project Podcast Side Series Goddess Talks. I'm so very excited to share this side series with you, which are just going to be a few episodes um, that are embedded through the other episodes, the regular episodes of the Goddess Project. And The Goddess Talks will be interviews with other scholars, with other people that are in the field of goddess worship, of the divine feminine, people that I really want to talk uh, to about the goddess. So this series is a little bit selfish, and in the sense that it is something that I enjoy doing and that I love doing. And so I'm very, very excited to share it with you guys. And I'm very excited to have these conversations and, you know, widen the circle of scholars' and widen the knowledge that can be shared often a lot of scholars that are doing really fantastic work are not on social media or haven't really developed like a youtube site or other sites and then sometimes they have fantastic social media and so i really would like to share with everyone some of the people that inspire me and some of the writers that i find intriguing and also that i find their research super intriguing so welcome to the goddess talks series i hope that you enjoy the series as much as i enjoy Recording it. This week, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Zenobia Neal, a historical fiction author. I had read her book, uh, The Queen of Warriors, and I absolutely fell in love with the research she did, the accuracy the detail and so we had been chatting on Instagram back and forth for a little bit but after I read this book I thought no we definitely need to meet and we need to talk about all the things that go into historical fiction and some of the decisions around what do you put in what do you keep out those kinds of things Um, and also the with the popularity of historical fiction particularly around mythology I thought that this would be a really great way to involve all of you um, into What does it take to write something and and what are maybe some of the challenges and some of the rewards of writing uh mythic retellings so a little bit about zenobia neil zenobia neil was named after an ancient warrior queen who fought against the romans she writes historical fiction and historical fantasy from underrepresented perspectives her debut novel psyche unbound won a publishing contract her second novel the genie's last wish takes place in the imperial ottoman harem and focuses on a eunuch, a mysterious Jewish woman, and a genie. Her third novel, The Queen of Warriors, Alexander of Sparta, book one, my favorite, is about a Spartan woman warrior in search of redemption in the war-torn remains of Alexander the Great's empire. Her newest novel, Ariadne Unraveled, a mythic retelling, is about the love story between Ariadne and Dionysus, which takes place in Bronze Age Crete, ah my favorite, and surrounding Aegean islands. Zenobia lives in Los Angeles with her family. You can find her at zenobianeal.com. Her website will be in the interview. I really hope that all of you will enjoy this um interview we had a blast filming it we talked about all the things things we weren't even expecting to talk about and so I really hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it Yay. okay so hello oh I didn't ask how to pronounce your name is it Zenobia
1: it is oh what are the other choices
0: uh, I thought more like Zenobia uh-huh no, actually, it's Zenobia. I was like Zenobia, but then I don't know. Some people might be like, Zenobia, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm actually curious because your name is so wonderful and so rare. And uh, I thought, like, you know, did your mother have a premonition that you would write about, you know,
1: the ancient world? Um, no. I don't, I don't know if my mother had a premonition. My father chose my name and um, it was a surprise to my mother. Um, A surprise. Super uh, not great relationship (laughs) there. Um, So he, he um, surprised her by naming me Zenobia and gave me a few other uh, different unique names to go with it (laughs) so um he actually named me Zenobia Euphronia um after Euphronius the vase painter um so beautiful though Uh so um yeah so he he named he gave me those names and um it was not easy to have uh weird names the funny thing is like people were always asking me were your parents hippies and I'm like you know they were like into the ancient world? I was going to say, were they historians? That was my thing. They were both very interested in history. Nice. All kinds of history. So, yeah. Nice. And so, did they call you Zen? Or Z? Uh, n- just different. I mean, a few, a f- you know, in high school, there were a few different, uh, you know, how everybody gets nicknames in high school. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. For me, it was always Car. You know, I hate my name. Carla and I used to threaten my mother that I would change my name I wanted something like moon or star I wish my parents were a hippie you know I right then they would sunlight or something you know uh but my mother liked Carla and back home in Romania it was an Italian name and mm-hmm. so it was interesting whatever I don't know but when I came here everybody called me car uh which is okay but you know it's car you
1: know right it's that's a weird abbreviation I mean, Zen. Zen offers like, yeah, a little, a little zen. <laughs> <laughs> so then actually that's a good segue
0: into your work. How did you get into ancient studies and how did you decide that you're going to write uh, historical fiction, you know?
1: yeah i had always been really into greek mythology and the ancient world um when i was little my mom took me to my my parents got a divorce but before they did my father was like it's not me it's the neighborhood let's go to paris and everything will be fine um and so they told me for my fourth birthday, we were going to Paris, which, which really set me up for a, you know, life with unrealistic expectations of what you get for your birthday. <laughs> so, How do you talk that? So my, yeah. yeah, My mom took me to the Louvre all the time and she would tell me like the stories in the paintings. So, um, like and then at bedtime she would tell me the mythology greek mythology right. stories as right, well right, right. so i just grew up with those stories so i always was really drawn to it um to to mythology and to the ancient world and i grew up in a victorian house so i was always thinking about like how did people in the past live and what did they think about and what did they wear and how uncomfortable was it you know <laughs> i love that yeah, so I always was really drawn to to the past. And um I always really liked stories. Um I remember I remember the day that I realized that I was stuck in my body and that I couldn't become like a fairy princess or a firefighter or a pirate and like what a bummer that was. <laughs> and so I think like being a writer is the closest thing I can get to that.
0: Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I think it's the details too. Like you say, like, what does this feel like? Or what was this person wearing? Or, and so I think that's the details. And in your stories, that's my favorite part is the details. Um, because it like, it creates like a smelly, texture, uh, tacit, you know, world for us, right? And so I'm like, yeah. And and like the way things feel and like like the way skin feels, Uh, And I mean, like, you know, if you're in a battle war, like I'm thinking of your of the queen of warriors, but like, I just read this part where uh, they're like bathing her skin and they're putting all this oil on it. and It's got the smell. And I'm like, this is so amazing. First of all, I would love to have a bath like that and a massage. Um, But you could smell it. You could be in the room, you know, it's, it's really beautifully written. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's talk then. So let's talk about Uh, some of your favorite works, Um, Ariadne and Dionysus. Yeah.
1: So my, my uh, most recent novel, Ariadne Unraveled um, is uh, I've always been really drawn to Crete and Minoan culture. And so um, I wanted to write about Ariadne's story, but from a Minoan point of view, because I feel like a lot of the greek myths that we see are from like an an athenian point of view agreed Mm -hmm. and it's interesting when you find out that you know there are all these cultures there before the greeks came and how those gods got incorporated and some of them got uh demoted (laughs) Mm -hmm. they weren't part of the olympian pantheon or changed So I was really interested in seeing it more from a Minoan perspective than an Athenian perspective. Um, Because the story of Theseus is always, you know, his story and Ariadne is kind of just a pawn or someone who doesn't have very much agency. So I wanted her to have more agency and also to um, have more of a chance to act. So instead of being princess, who is, you know, besotted by this Athenian hunk. Yeah. She's a high priestess who has a mind of her own. Um, and also there, um, your your podcast about Ariadne and Dionysus was really great to listen to. Um, and there are so many different conflicting myths about them. Yes. And yes. it was hard to um, interweave them, but I wanted to tell a story that kind of, touched base on, on several different parts of them, um, of all the different stories. So there's one, one of the, I can't, I think it was (laughs) Nonus. there was one who talked about how, uh, Ariadne and Dionysus had been married before theseus came, Mm. which somebody said was like one of the reasons that Artemis, Artemis told him to smite her. and so I, I like, I played with that idea in Ariadne and Raffled that they had been married before.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm so glad that you did that story. I have not yet read that story, but it's on my list. Um, cause I'm digging through like five books. Um, yeah. but, um, and sometimes I also savor some books for like particular activities. Like if I know I'm traveling somewhere, I'll be like, mm. I'm saving this book for that time. Um, I did. I did a, a recording with a scholar in Minoan culture. Um, her name is Laura Perry. And what was really fascinating is, like, we can talk about Ariadne. And I love that we all talk about Ariadne because I really think it's time for her to come to light, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also, I really love this continued idea that we are tracing her to like a pre-Athenian version. You mm-hmm. know. Um, maybe, maybe it's time. Like, I feel like there's a Minoan resurgence. I don't know if you've seen
1: that. Well, so Laura Perry was actually my editor of this book. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. And she, um, she a modern Minoan pagan group, which I've been a part of for a really long time. And um, being part of that group was really helpful in writing Ariadne Unraveled because there were um, so many different times people made suggestions that actually wove their way into my book and one of them was talking about um kind of uh putting down your enemy and how there's no better way to put down your enemy than to say that they're a bull effer ah. <laughs> so i i really kind of went with the idea Because we always think of the Pacifé and the Minotaur story, I mean, and the bull from the sea, Pacifé and the bull from the sea, literally. We always think, like, oh, he had sex with the bull from the sea. Gross, right? Right. But then I was thinking, what better way to slander your enemy and a powerful woman than to say that she had sex with the bull? And that she lusted after him. And then I thought about Catherine the Great and how like similar rumors were spread about her and a horse. And it's like this really base way of taking down a powerful woman by spreading these horrible bestial rumors about her. Yes. Yes. So, you know, and I kind of thought like, what if the Athenians saw a Minoan wearing a bull's mask and were like, there's a bull. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Instead of just taking it literally from like what they're what they're saying. Cause I like to think about like all the way that history and perspective change over time. Yeah. And how like something can be a representation, but a different culture can misinterpret it.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, that's really fascinating, actually, because I'm doing this, I'm recording this podcast tomorrow on the Horn Goddess. Yeah, It will be tomorrow. It'll be already passed by the time this is posted. But um, one of the pictures that I came across was Europa, you know, falling in love with a bull. And I thought of uh, Pasiphae as well. And this idea that like these women were falling in love with these beasts in a way, in a way. And of course these beasts are sent by the gods and Europa's case, there may all, she may have, um, they say it's Zeus, but uh, I read somewhere that it could also have been Poseidon sending. Um this bull so anyways but what the reason why I bring that up as you say that is this this there's I was like what is it what is what is it with these stories of like pretending like women fall in love with these animals in a in an intimate way like right like so I think that explanation yeah I think that that's a way better explanation uh (laughs) Because I'm just like, what did the Greeks have with these women that's fall in love with a goose and fall in love with a bull? And fall- <laughs> what is happening, you know? Um, but I, I think that, yeah, that adding that sort of bestiality to them, mm-hmm. yeah, proves to be uh, you know, a debasing of the women, yeah. a weakness, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, and just also like to say our enemy is so weird and different from us. Right. It wouldn't have sex with animals. I mean. Right. And yes. and also for like. If if Pasiphae had been. Someone who actually had power. And the Athenians didn't like that. You know. to like That's a really good way to put her down. Yes. So that was my theory. Um,
0: yeah and I think that's a good point. Because then she becomes sort of a, the mother of beasts. You know like a mother of a beast. And mm-hmm. Hera also gives birth to a bunch of beasts too. There's a bunch of powerful goddesses that give birth to beasts yeah yeah that's really interesting
1: yeah yeah so i think i originally got that idea from the modern minoan group Mm. um and then there was another scene that i used that i got from that group as well because somebody used a sacred swing they like made a sacred swing in their yard and they they swung on it Okay, hold on hold on what is a sacred swing <laughs> um so in the in the museum in um in crete there's in heraklion there's this yeah. like clay image of a yes. girl on swing but her head is missing and so there was this idea of like swinging to epiphany as being in touch with the goddess
0: oh i've seen the swing i have pictures of this swing but i hadn't heard this yeah. okay yeah. okay
1: and I think next to it, it said something about like epiphany, and huh. so somebody in the modern Minoan pagan group had recreated a swing. The um, instead of being instead of the sides being straight, they like kind of go out a little bit, which makes it harder to swing. Okay. Um, and so I have a, a scene in Ariadne Unraveled where she's like swinging to try and get in touch with the goddess.
0: Right, right, right. That's fascinating. Oh my god, I can't believe how many times I've seen that swing. And I'm sure I took a picture of that inscription, but, um, mm-hmm. but that would be so cool to have a swing in your backyard and you're swinging and, uh, and it is kind of fascinating because when you think about when you're a kid, you're swinging and you're having a blast.
1: Yeah. And, and been- also like free airplane or any, you know, it's like the, the, the highest you can get or like the, the most flying like thing you can do. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. And so then, how do you feel about Dionysus? Uh, There's there's a lot of complexities to Dionysus, you know, because we know him as this complicated god. And yet, one of the things about the story of Ariadne and Dionysus is the monogamy, you know, in a way, like the, well, the commitment to some degree, Mm -hmm. right? And then he doesn't take another
1: wife. Um, No, I mean, my my characters are... um... I I don't know if I'd call them monogamous, but they're definitely into each other the most. They're primary partners. Um, Okay. (laughs) That's exciting. (laughs) um, Another thing I really like about writing about the ancient world is that um, my character, a lot of my characters are sexually fluid, because I feel like we put a lot of our modern ideas of sexuality on the ancients, and they wouldn't have had, I don't think, this concept of like, you're you're straight or you're gay like there it's one or the other it's like you can be both and you know first in some city states you were you know something at one point in your life and something different at a different point in your life and then if you were a woman or a slave just too bad like you don't even get to make that choice you know so I feel like to be like I feel like now if a man has sex with a man it's like he's gay and right. it's like it it doesn't have to be like that in my books anyway
0: yeah I agree I agree 100% I mean they didn't even they didn't use that terminology and to be honest it's unclear that they had any terminology to really define those categories so they probably didn't
1: really yeah um, so that's it's really cool. liberating to see it that way yeah for me and I mean I'm I'm grateful that I feel like I live in a time where people in my immediate culture have a lot of freedom to um, choose what and who they want to be with, Mm -hmm. um, what they are and who they want to be with, and that that isn't a fixed thing um, unless people want it to be. But I know that throughout history and in many places in this modern world, that's not the case at all, you know. Um, so it's it's really liberating to be able to write about that. And I feel like no like that Dionysus is the most um sexually fluid and um, you know, there there are no restraints on who he is gonna be. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, I I do love that he's really committed to Ariadne, but right. um, I mean, he, he gets tempted, but he doesn't go with anybody else. I don't think in my book, but that doesn't mean, that, you know, like they're th- like being married for them doesn't mean that you can't right. have somebody else. That's right.
0: That's right. And so is it, is it more difficult to write a character like Dionysus or easier? Like, do you, do you find, I guess, do you, f- Hmm. How do I ask this question? Like, do you find that just growing up in our own society and like dealing with our own, even in our most unbiased forms that, that maybe some of those restrictions creep up on us? Or did you find that it was like a free for all? And you were like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give it with this character.
1: Well, I mean, I've been really into Dionysus for a really long time. Like when I was in high school, I I studied Nietzsche and I studied like the whole Apollo, Dionysus, like, yes.
0: paradigm,
1: juxtaposition, okay. duality. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't see the world that way so much anymore, but like, when I was younger, I I thought about it a lot. So I feel like I know Dionysus really well. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I feel like it wasn't hard to write him for me. Like, in some ways, it was harder to write Ariadne. But I felt like I, I knew, I mean, Dionysus kind of like arrives on the scene and he's like, what's happening? Oh, interesting. (laughs) Hmm." And he's like kind of charmed by everybody. And like, you know, this like, like slightly detached, but also like he does have real things to lose. And right. know, but so I do feel like I I know him well.
0: (laughs) Right right i mean i've also been fascinated with him to be fair i think that he's the only the only um male god
1: that i'm
0: willing to entertain you know like i don't like apollo at all like every time somebody posts about apollo i go nuts like in my head i'm like oh my god why why Apollo, he just can't win. My God, I cannot. I cannot. okay. Uh Zeus, <laughs> like even when you wrote when you when you posted that first thing, that teaser about your 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 piece or your novella. And I was like, ah, oh, Zeus, like, okay. so, but I'm willing to give him more of a chance, you know. Um, who else is in there? Aries, maybe, but we never hear much about Aries. No one really writes much about Aries. I think they see him as one dimensional mm-hmm. um, as a war god. So it would be interesting to see him differently. So I'm like, okay, Aries, whatever. Poseidon, Hades, again, usually one-dimensional people have a way of writing him. I can't really say much about him. I feel nothing for him.
1: So if I think of all of them. <laughs> the feeling's probably mutual with Hades. <laughs> yeah,
0: like I can't think of a male, a male figure in the pantheon that I would be like, oh, this would be What him. about Hermes? I guess I always see Hermes as a 17 year old, (laughs) you know, I always see him as like the needy, desperate 17 year old at the peak of like, uh, like ecstasy in a way, you know, the guy, the kid that always wants to get laid. I love
1: you, man. Did they tell you? Did they tell you I loved you?
0: (laughs) That one? (laughs) You know, Um, I I mean, he's cute, but like, I I can't take him seriously, you know? Um, I see him more like as a kid, I guess. So yeah, like, so I, this is why I think Dionysus is the only one that like you might want to have a conversation with or I might even entertain like an attraction to mm-hmm. because I think he reminds me because of the femininity aspect of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reminds me of like a David Bowie or a, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like there's something, even in
1: his statues, when you see him, he's so pretty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I feel like one of his challenges is to accept that and to accept himself you know because it's like the other gods are always like oh he's so effeminate it's like he had to come to peace with that and that is who he is and he's fine with it and it's the other gods that have a problem with it mm-hmm. um but i i um i love writing about hades i have a really good sex scene with um with airy with mars and venus in my novel psyche um Psyche Unbound um it's the Roman version so I had to call everybody by their Roman names because right. the story was Roman so like it was so hard for me to call um Aries Mars but I did it um so I I include him and Venus having sex in a temple um oh my and, gosh um in front of poor little Psyche and um <laughs> and it was really fun to write that um, <laughs> So I feel like Aries with Venus, I mean with Aphrodite, (laughs) Mars with Venus, (laughs) like can be a fun thing to, um, to see. Um, I also in Ariadne Unraveled, I wrote about Hephaestus and he was really a fascinating character for me. I, um, So Dionysus is twice born and Hephaestus is twice fallen and they're friends and they're also like rejected by the other gods and um, they like get along really well. And then Dionysus is hanging out with Hephaestus and he's like, oh, maybe this volcanic ash would work with winemaking. And I was like, (laughs) Um, so I really liked writing about Hephaestus too, because he's like the only only God who has a job and who has a disability. And he also like had to work really hard to be accepted.
0: Okay. So, okay. So I may have to backtrack a second cause I forgot about poor Hephaestus. I, okay. <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent.
1: Um,
0: I love the fact that he is born out of out of parthenogenesis, right? Like I love that. And when I talk about yeah. Hera, I always talk about that. Um. And then I kind of lean towards him and Hera having a positive relationship. I know a lot of the writers tried to give them this really damaging relationship. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like I always see him as a problem solver because mm-hmm. everybody goes to him, oh, I need armor or crack my head open or help me figure this out. Or can you make me a sword or whatever, right? Um, and then I also feel a little bad, bad for him because he's forced to be married with Aphrodite, right? There's like mm-hmm. a... Uh, And so I always kind of see them as like friends who agree to just pretend they're married, but then they go, and I actually, oh my God, Zenobia, I actually saw this piece, maybe I'll share it on Instagram around the time we published this, that has, and it's a Roman piece to be fair, that has Hephaestus working at something and, uh, um Venus okay well we're getting all the names everywhere but anyway uh Venus sitting on Mars's lap right in front of them and they're having like a little trio happy family moment oh wow yeah yeah no you just reminded me of that um and I don't where was it Uh, I think it was at the Met when we were at the Met and but it just it looked like such a great piece because they were Mm -hmm. all there together and it's very clear that Venus is like hugging Mars and like they're having a little thing. And it's just like, he's making something, I think. And he's just kind of smiling at them. And I, there may be a little Cupid around there. I can't remember. I'm going to look it up, but I would love to think of it more like that.
1: Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. I mean, they can just happen. have an adult poly relationship and you know nobody needs to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I have a... a I've seen a bronze of Venus and Mars, and she's on his lap, but Hephaestus isn't there.
0: Oh, that's so i yeah. Looking
1: forward to seeing the image.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I, I, I will post that at some point. But yeah, that's really great, and I love the Dionysus and Hephaestus friendship because you know Dionysus doesn't actually have a lot of friends, like in the Pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I mean, I've seen him with Artemis quite a bit right um he's been worshipped in some places they're they're together but I don't know if I'd call them friends friends
1: um, I don't think any of the gods really know what it is to be friends true. and I think except for Hestia who's like I'm gonna go hang out with the mortals because you guys suck
0: <laughs> it's true it's true you're right it's true but I do think you're right I think if 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 Dionysus had a friend it
1: would be Hephaestus. Yeah. I think it's the only one he could really bear compared to the mm-hmm. other Is Well, I mean, they have so much in common with not really fitting in yeah. and not really being cared for or accepted for who they are or being grudge—they're grudgingly accepted for who they are. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it's really interesting that you can't stand Apollo, but you love Artemis. I do, um, yes, and- yes. Yeah i swear to god if there was a tv show it would be called like apollo can't win it's just it's so funny how like his whole thing is that like
0: no I don't nobody like him. wants him. no i don't like him so i so i see him as an unnecessary addition now i should say that i have a little brother <laughs> who i love but perhaps he's an unnecessary addition too uh, i'm just kidding but um I see him like as an unnecessary addition, like a later historical addition because she was on her own and she was so powerful. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he kills the the Python at Delphi. Um, You know, he's always assaulting women. He's like the most unresponsive God. So I can't see, I can't find a moment in which I, I see him and I go, okay, well, maybe. No, I don't know why. And it's true like I sometimes look at Artemis and I go deal with that like I don't like that's your thing and you know? or or people will have them together you know when you go uh-huh. visit places and it'll be like this is the temple of Artemis and Apollo and I just ignore the Apollo altogether and I'm like this is the temple of Artemis and you know <laughs> it's, <so funny. laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Yeah and then what he does to Cassandra anyway I can go on for like ever. Um, not liking him yeah but I do see people who swoon over him sometimes and I have to hold back because Mm -hmm. there are some pictures of him that are really lovely and really beautiful well I mean
1: the idea of like him blessing you with like poetry or you know something um but did it all start with um what's his face hyacinth what what started? What do you mean? Like all of his bad luck and all of his like inability to have a relationship with somebody who liked him. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Now that you say that, I, I guess I've always taken for granted that he just can't seem to have a
1: relationship with anyone. Right.
0: So like, yeah. why, why doesn't, if he's so great, why doesn't nobody like
1: him? Like he's the like woman. the anti, anti-love, like- yeah or even like want to hang out with
0: if he's so beautiful and he's so amazing and he's so powerful why do all these women try to escape him um of course i mean there's obviously historical political issues with the mythology but i just think if Mm -hmm. we're talking about him as a character he just right uh, right just irks me right yeah for (laughs) apollo he just can't win he
1: can't he can't.
0: He, he can't he can't And and. Sometimes I feel like I don't do a lot of podcasts on men uh, or male Ooh. figures because I'm just not really that interested. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I could do a whole podcast bashing Apollo. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> People will be like, Carla. Must you, though? Must you? <laughs> so I don't want to bash people like my friends who like you know everybody likes different gods you know different mm-hmm. things I don't want to like uh because if they came for Artemis I may be quite irked so I'm like okay uh-huh. we'll all have boundaries we
1: can all we can all like the gods we want to like exactly exactly exactly
0: <laughs> but yeah as far as like men uh in the pantheon yeah I think those are and so what do you think about Dionysus's children and stuff like I mean I also find that fascinating because
1: he has so many it was really hard to um to make that work in historical fiction. Right. You know, cuz like especially because so um there's this book called The Marriage of Cadmus and Harmony by uh Roberto I don't remember. Yeah, I'm terrible <laughs> with names. Yeah. Uh he talks I feel really bad that I don't I don't know how to say his last name. Um got to see um and he talks a lot about um io no he talks a lot about the bull from the sea and is it io and europa and like how it's always going back to a bull like we were talking about earlier it's always going back to a bull abducting a woman from the ocean and like what does that mean but um he also talks about ariadne and he has this line in there that nobody in mythology has been killed in more ways than Ariadne, and wow. so writing about her in historical fiction was pretty challenging. <laughs> and as you talked about in your podcast on Dionysus and Ariadne, um, you know it's like she she bears Dionysus all these sons. But then she dies, so it's like, how can you have, like, seven, eight children and die? So I, in my book, I, like, narrowed it down to three, maybe four. Uh huh Uh -huh. (laughs) It's like, they didn't have a, there was, like, a three-year period. I kind of did it in, in like, groups of three years. Right. So, um, she had the twins, and then the other one, and then the baby. So, I think um and and Dionysus gets to be a little bit of a hands-on dad I love that. <laughs> um so I liked what you said about like how having a, a lot of children shows power and um you know also to be strong to not die it's yeah. huge
0: and the children of a god yeah. I thought that was also you know because if you think about like who has the children like Matisse when she has Athena dies Dionysus' mm-hmm. mother dies. Mm-hmm. Heracles' mother dies.
1: Right.
0: Um, I can't remember about Perseus' mother. She might die.
1: No, she she, she makes, it. makes it. Yeah. You know, so but she could have died. <laughs> right. Because don't they lock her in the box, right? And yeah, they, they put, put her in the box show. and her her father puts her in the box and sends her out to sleep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, and so when I was reading, like, so it's so weird to me because I was not unaware, but I just was not pulled towards Ariadne for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then a whole bunch of like synchronicities happened and she kept showing up. Mm
1: -hmm. And then I had
0: this really intense like vision experience when I was at a retreat and she showed Mm -hmm. up. So um, then I kind of started thinking about her more and like I couldn't get her. And then of course I love Crete and I want to move to Crete and I want to build in Crete and Ariadne is all there. So then I thought I started looking for her more and more. And the children, even when I was doing some other research now I didn't do the most in-depth research for for you don't have time to do all of that you you have done more research on Ariadne and Dionysus than I have. I guarantee you. Um, <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, but when I saw the children, especially boys, that's what I was thinking was like, this is unique mm-hmm. uh, for God's sons.
1: Yeah. They all become
0: something important,
1: right. Right. They all become and I mean it was one of the challenging things in writing this book was I when I in my first draft I have them like hanging out and drinking wine and then I was like oh my god there's no wine yet. Mm. So to write a a book like in ancient Greece or what we think of as ancient Greece and there's no wine, I was like, oh my God, Dionysus has not brought wine to Crete yet. Right. There's only beer and mead, right, and tea. Mountain, mountain tea. <laughs> All kinds of crazy tea. So later, I mean, so some of his children are, you know, like really important in wine producing. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I did a little bit of research in wine production and the history of wine, and it was it's pretty fascinating to, yeah, to learn about like our relationship with discovering wine and beer and wow yeah that's... there's this theory that um one of the reasons that people stop being hunters and gatherers is not because we wanted to make bread but because we wanted to drink beer I mean <laughs> <laughs> that's quite believable I'm not backing it up with the right uh you know resources in the name of the study but we all know it's true in our hearts (laughs) that's right that's
0: That's fascinating that's fascinating I love it oh my goodness okay yeah I'm very excited so we may have to do a podcast after I read all of your books uh to revisit some of these but I love that we get to talk about it even just now as in this way so then that kind of takes me to like um the the sex in your books (laughs) (laughs)
1: beer wines right
0: right uh I think it's okay so I was just talking to my daughter actually just before we started talking and I said one of my favorite things about her writing is that she's like no holds bars in the in the sex part and the erotica and I I find that sometimes when I read historical fiction and other by other authors the sex is a bit like I don't want to say vanilla, because it's not, I don't know if that's fair forever. I haven't read every single historical fiction, but not everyone's as comfortable writing. But the ancients had lots of fantastic sex. I mean, and I mean, they drew about it, painted about it, they <laughs> talked about it, you know? And they had a really like a raw sense of even talking about it, you know? They weren't really, I don't want to say conservative, but they weren't even timid, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so how do you... F- Hmm, what's my question? How do you feel that's how do you feel that's been received? And just like, how do you feel like why? why? Is it just something you enjoy writing about? What do you think it? like, yeah, so yeah, just tell me what you think about it.
1: So I mean, I feel like my characters want to do it. <laughs> I feel like my characters want to have sex, but I also feel like one of the things I enjoy writing about the ancient world is, being able to to have my characters have sex in ways that today uh you know if it was a modern day story it would be like let's talk about consent and a condom and blah blah and it's like I totally in real life I'm all for that but in the ancient world you know you can make things more I don't even know what like risky or you know raw like it's part of a power of, you know, writing in the, in this, it's historical fiction, but there's an element of fantasy to it as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just kind of jump in, but, and a lot of times it's like, it's not like I sit down and I think, well, when I wrote Psyche Unbound, I was like, I'm gonna write a erotic retelling of the myth of Cupid and Psyche, because like she, (laughs) she can't see him and he comes to her every night and like she thinks he's a monster but it's Cupid I mean spoiler alert sorry but like you know it's like it seems like a really bizarre but kind of sexy fantasy Uh and you know like yeah so I just was like it's and also Venus is her enemy so that's kind of hot too (laughs) so (laughs) I had to include that yeah um So like I, I did set out to write that as an erotic version, but generally it's like my characters are just moved to, Mm -hmm. to have sex because they're attracted to each other and it just needs to happen. Um, I feel like with Ariadne unraveled, some, some readers felt like they had sex too quickly Mm. and, um, It was Dionysus's fault. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that. I'm like, I mean, how can you hold out? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he shows up and like she waits as long as possible. But it's like, I just felt like that was the realistic thing to do. Like, you know, in historical romance, it's like they should meet. They should have a kiss. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. But like, you're just out there. Also, the Minoan costume, um, there's no top, or there is just a little shelf, I guess, um, some kind of support. And then, like, they must have had really funny tan lines with the bolero jacket. Yes. So, like, you know, you're just hanging out with your girls, and then Dionysus shows up and, like, pours you a magical drink. What's going to happen? Right.
0: Right. No, I agree. I agree. And I think that fits really well with the constant seduction. I mean, gods are constantly seducing women and yeah, yeah, the resistance is futile.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> the resistance. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I love Unless that.
1: Unless it's Apollo, in which right. case you're you're he's done. Exactly. Again, <laughs> unexplained <laughs> Why? Why is he the
0: only one that no one wants? Why is it that he cannot seduce with the power of his father? You know, um, it skipped a generation <laughs> for
1: Apollo, <laughs> not for the rest of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I love it. So I just, yeah, I I just want to say that I'm I'm a supporter of of the raw like intimacy. I think it just it it adds that. It adds that kind of like, so one of the things that I like is that it adds um, like grit, a little bit of like grit to the story. Um, And I guess it takes me back in time a little bit. Yeah. Because I mean, people had sex in temples. People were very free with their bodies. There was really no, um, you know, not too many restrictions. Sex was celebrated. um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that has to be a part too of writing, right? To some degree.
1: And also I feel like so there's there are a lot of mythic retellings right now and they're they're called they're feminist retellings, but mm-hmm. I feel like some of the I mean not that I've read all of them or anything, but it's like my my female characters want sex because they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not like, oh, I don't it's not like a regency situation where they're going to be their, you know, (laughs) reputation is going to be destroyed if they have sex, right? It's like, they want to have sex and they have sex with their girlfriends and they have sex with like the gods and they're, you know, living their best life. Yes. And
0: I mean, like, honestly, I think that's historically accurate. Like no doubt, you know Uh, when I try and tell my students, when we talk about um, how like, people would have sex in temples and that was normal. And then I tell them like how actually the Greeks began, especially as they move forward through time, they began to like sterilize temples so that you couldn't have intimacy in them anymore. And they, be, you know what I mean? And, and so there's this movement towards like, again, virginity and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, but that's a much later You know, it's so much later. Again, political patriarchal movement to again like close off women and you know control bodies and control reproductive systems and all that stuff. But in the early days, yeah, people would go to temple and have a blast, and there was no judgment. You know, Um, I even tried to explain to them that sometimes like people had sex with other people just to become uh, to 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 see themselves as fertile or to Mm -hmm. you know hope that the God blesses the union. So that they would become pregnant. And some of my students sometimes have a hard time with, I don't understand. They go to a temple and they have sex in front of priestesses. I'm like, yes, they have a blast, you know. Um, so I like that. Like, I like that. I think it's it's authentic. So I really, so I really like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I try, I try to be authentic. Of course, there's so much about the ancient world that we just don't know, you know, but I feel like. It seems right from what I have studied and what I have researched that 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 people, especially like in Mino and Crete, you know, that people wouldn't have the same ideas of women not having choices. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed.
0: I'm so glad that we made that Laura Perry connection. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, she amazed me as well with her
1: knowledge. So I can only imagine you dug way She's- deeper. Yeah. She is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She really like knows everything. Well, not every, you know, but she knows as much as humanly possible about the Minoan world.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then that leads me to my next question. What, what's in store? Like, what, what are you thinking? What, what is like, what are you inspired by lately as far as I know, I know Zeus and, right. and what, 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 what prompted that do you think? Is it just cause Zeus is not getting it?
1: Well, so I, my most recent release is a spicy Greek god novelette it's a story about Hera and Zeus that was actually my first uh, published short story many years ago and so I re-released it um, recently and it's about the coup that Hera tried uh, against Zeus Mm -hmm. and then when I was writing it I was like what makes their relationship work like I'm tired of of just seeing her as this jealous person. Yes. Um, and I was really, at the time I wrote it, I was really into Robert Graves' The Greek Myths. And he talked about this. Um, I mean, I other people say like a lot of his theories were nuts and he was out there, but like I really enjoyed reading his stories. And at the time, the way I was reading them, everything sounded so sexual in these like super short mythic like summaries. Uh um so because zeus is tied up with magical rawhide thongs and i was just like what (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's kind of hot exactly yes and so um it talked like in one of his footnotes he said that they say that um his theory was that hera and zeus's marriage lasted their wedding night lasted 300 years yes that's how long it actually took for the patriarchy to overcome the goddess
0: yes um, oh my gosh there is a primary source for that uh i just saw it somewhere the oh switch. really yes mm-hmm. oh wow i can't yeah. remember who said it but i saw that source yeah
1: so i was like wow that's when i first started really thinking about like not taking the myths at face value but like what they meant and that there were you know gods and goddesses especially goddesses before the what we call Greek now pantheon occurred as it is. Yeah. So I started thinking about that. And um, and I just, I just tried to figure out like how Zeus and Hera's relationship could have worked. Right. But I mean, I was just as surprised as anybody else that I would write a story about those two. <laughs> um, they're like the least sexy couple, but it's also interesting to think like, you know, how how would their relationship have actually worked in a way?
0: Yes, yes, and it's interesting too that as you say that I'm thinking, you know, why is Hera so jealous? Like maybe mm. there was this 300 years of passion that sort of marked her in some way, and mm. then she, you know, then the jealousy just becomes a thing because she can't, have, you know. Well, I, mean, also,
1: I, think, I mean, I think, of it, yeah, you know, why is she so
0: jealous? If she doesn't really like him, she wouldn't be so jealous.
1: Right? In their in their culture, you know, it's like he can have sex with like thousands of people and she can't have sex with anybody. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, well,
0: exactly. <laughs> she does, although she does get him by birthing all of these uh, individuals and then beasts without him. So that's I'd true. Love- I do like that. She births, you know. She birds Hephaestus out of spite, uh, right? Which is like, all right, yes. Um. So then, what do you think moving forward? Is there anyone that's inspiring you or calling to you?
1: Well, I'm kind of looking back at that collection of like long, short stories that I started many years ago, and I'm thinking about Artemis and Callisto. Um, which I had started a long time ago. but it's hard because it's so sad, you know? know.
0: You know, it's funny you say that because I always think of Artemis as the like lesbian in the Pantheon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had some conversation like off record with people about this because there isn't any documentation about it. But I always see her in Iphigenia for example, as lovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Callisto, yes. Uh, oh my god I'm terrible with names tonight but um, I always see this and, and many of her other nymphs right mm-hmm. because she gets so jealous speaking of jealousy
1: so yeah. jealous like so mad jealous. jealous yeah yeah but her and Iphigenia that's actually that would be a really great story because that has a happy ending right yeah um
0: yep. yeah. yeah I've always seen her as um a woman who enjoys other women um and freely and uh I just think that they didn't say it you know what I'm saying like oh yeah
1: I mean I don't think they needed to I mean it's it's like I mean well like the men didn't want to know about it and the women knew so there was no I mean it was always very clear to me that that was the case I mean she just She's like, I don't want to get married and I'm going to be over here with all my nymphs yeah. hunting and bathing. Right? Right? If, if anybody's if anybody
0: there it. not to sleep with men, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, and people go, oh, she wants them to be virginal. I'm like, no, dude. You yeah. know what I'm
1: well, saying? Like- And virginal means something different, right? Like virginal can mean that you are what i can't even remember it's like it's not like that you don't have sex
0: that's right well so it could mean like being pious or it could mean like not having like literal intercourse with a man but you can have mm. lots of sex you know mm. um and you no, know, now that i'm thinking about her i'm not sure that she ever really says anything about sex or virginal she's just not into men in a physical way um mm. uh, but she does like her girlfriends a lot and they have a very intimate relationship. So I've always leaned towards her being the goddess that has like sort of that, if we, you know, I mean, if we stick her in the gay sticker zone, but uh, but she would totally, yeah, be like a lesbian goddess for sure. And I think for her sure. anger at some of the nymphs mm-hmm. is pretty evident, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally, but the Iphigenia is romantic because she saves her at the last minute. Right. with the killer, And then when I was at Artemis Beron in, um, in, in Greece, when we were at the temple, well, everywhere there's a, a little Iphigenia. But in this place, there was like a specific little temple to Iphigenia right beside the Artemis temple. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so again, mm. the thought came up and they have like a little Iphigenia cave and priestesses to Iphigenia. And I was like... Well, this is very romantic. Like wow. You know? Um, so she pops up a lot around. I mean, mm. we you know, she does pop up a lot around Artemis, but um mm. yeah, yeah. And then I guess they do kind of go on almost forever. I mean, I don't think that Iphigenia goes away. Um That's from her like Yeah. It's
1: so really hey, you know, if, if you yeah, get inspired happier story than the one that I was starting to tell. Um, Yeah, I just have like, it's hard to write historical fiction because there are so many, you need to do so much research and there are so many like conflicting stories. Um, And it's also different, you know, you're like in the middle of writing and it's like, what did they, what flowers were available if I want to like scent the oil slash (laughs) moisturizer, you know. True.
0: This is why I could not do it. You Like, I admire you for doing stuff like this so much, because this is exactly the thing. Like, I love to dig up archaeological facts, primary sources, temple, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But to fill in the blanks requires a level of patience. Yeah. Right. And like chasing that falling down that rabbit hole of like trying to pin down, you know, mm-hmm. And so this is why I also love reading historical fiction because it it brings that world to life
1: for me a bit, you know? Um, Yeah, but you don't have to, you don't have to figure it out. It's like done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I like almost hope, like, like I try not to read the end. I mean, you know, the end sometimes, but you're like, is this author going to take me sideways? You know, like, I'd like for someone to, like, just take us sideways or whatever, you know?
1: Uh, but yeah. I know that
0: people feel differently. Like, people are like, oh, this is not accurate to history. And I'm just like, well,
1: I mean. Well, yeah, I think that that's an interesting point. Because, I mean, it's not accurate to, like, the traditional story. Right. But maybe some parts got left out. Like, it's, it's hard to know. And I feel like it's interesting to notice um, how much, like, how some people have more tolerance for change than others. I feel like tolerance isn't quite the right word I want to use, but like flexibility in how you can reinterpret a myth or retell Mm -hmm. a myth. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're retelling it, but how different is it going to be? Because I feel like a lot of the ones that I've read are really more mainstream and it's like this is the story, this is what happened. I mean, like one of the choices I had to make with Ariadne Unraveled is like, I read that Daedalus or Daedalus, um, what was actually like the name of somebody who is a builder. So like, it could have, you know, like many things, not just one person, but like representing many people who had a similar job. I So like, you know, do you want to make that one character or is it just a builder? Because like the Minoans had this amazing plumbing system thousands of years ago. And I was like, well... Daedalus or Daedalus like made that plumbing system but he's like the same guy who's you know over here yeah (laughs) so it's I mean it's interesting like how much like you you have to choose a lot and I mean you know if if the Minotaur killed Theseus that would that would be I guess alternate history (laughs) (laughs) yes yes Um, yes or if they became lovers that would be a completely different kind of book
0: <laughs> <laughs> although a book i would read let me let's be honest
1: <laughs> so like you know i mean it, there is like a uh, a line of store of traditional story you have to follow but then there's like some wiggle room within that within the margins to see like how you want to change it yeah yeah but like for me it makes me crazy i think you actually talked about this um, it makes me crazy when Ariadne is blonde. Um, and and you were saying how that meant they were like, not that they literally had blonde hair, but that they had like godlike power. That's right. Yeah. So I really appreciated that because um, it, it kills me when like there, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of white supremacy that's been put on Greek mythology. And one of the things I want to do is Take that away and talk about diversity in the ancient world as well. Yes, yes,
0: yes, and and I love that too. I mean, I think that's really our. It's got to be part of our work nowadays more and more. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I mean, I, you know, have family that's Greek, and never had I ever thought that the Greeks would be represented so blondly until like we were here, you know, and and watching Hollywood movies, and I've had people like come into my conversations like online or whatever every time i try to say that the greeks were not blonde i once had this guy that went nuts that i said you know the greeks were actually not blonde they were you know more olive skinned, whatever and he's like that's no, not true and we got into this whole thing and he's like i was like well you know what's a greek that you know from the ancient world that was blonde you know and uh i guess he had to go do some work on that and he came back with alexander the great and alexander the great may have been a ginger maybe a ginger there's like two references to that, you know? Really? Yeah, maybe. Because they say like his hair is like flaming. But it's also context because, yeah, the way that like Pausanias or Homer or whoever describes something right. also has to do with like, you know, the gods have gold eyes or they mm-hmm. have silver eyes or whatever. So that you can't literally say that that's that's the Greeks. That's what makes them stand out. Right? From the Greeks, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah I too have sometimes I have sometimes a problem with uh I don't know what I see as a reality I mean just a fact but other right
1: you just bad. have to look like at you know I mean in I know that in my known art like Egyptian it was you know the women were painted in white and the men were painted in red but I am I'm guessing that their skin was more red and their hair was black yeah and yeah. that's how my characters look yeah, which was um, hard for me because I, I am a ginger and I kept thinking like, oh, is she going to get a sunburn? Because <laughs> I would get a sunburn, but she didn't need to worry about it. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> yeah, <and> she's <laughs> some of those outfits, right? I was really worried for her <laughs> um, and her bare chest. And then I was like, oh, no, <laughs> she's got darker skin and she's fine. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, we're coming up on the hour. So uh, I absolutely have had the best time talking to you. I just want to say. Um any sort of closing thoughts? Um oh did you say, oh yeah. So you did say that you wanna you maybe Artemis and Callisto moving forward as a
1: Yeah, as a like more of a short story. Um, but yeah, I mean I have I have some other projects, but they're they're in the works. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Uh, I really hope so. I'm going to put all the information on the bottom in the description of where people can buy your book um, and, or your books on everywhere and then where they can um, check out your website and all of your Mm -hmm. social medias and all that kind of stuff. Um, Because I think that I really, yeah, I really think that you need more press because your work is amazing. I
1: definitely need more press. I love
0: it. (laughs) no like I really yeah I think your work is fantastic and so I think I think that that's something that uh that needs to be shared you know yeah yeah and so um and so I want to thank you for coming thanks Uh, so much for having me after I pressed off (laughs) but thank you so much for coming um and being so candid and uh and having so much fun with me and and
1: not being too angry about me not liking Apollo. I'm okay. he's not he's not my boy, but uh, <laughs> I like thinking that he and Dionysus could have a really good conversation mm. Like I like imagining them trying to um, find some common ground with their dads, maybe. No, just like philosophically. <laughs> philosophically. Not bitching about forget you. about the dad he's trouble that's right. that's right that's right
0: okay well thank you so much for coming and um yeah maybe we'll do this again soon the next season or whenever your next work comes out
1: yeah great sounds great thanks for having me